Welcome, 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 everyone, to this episode of Tech Cars Machines. My name is Ali Tabibian. I'm with GTK Partners, and you can find out more about me and the firm via the links in the episode notes. Today, we have an exciting addition to our technology and machines theme. Our guest is Alicia Green, who is the general manager of upstream information technology for Chevron. Now, in Chevron parlance, that means the chief information officer for the very important upstream business. Alicia has been a friend of our firm uh, for some time now. She's spoken at some of our conferences, and I was recently a panelist at a big data and analytics conference for energy executives that Alicia was hosting in Las Vegas earlier this year. The interview itself offers a fair bit of explanation on Alicia's background and the business unit and operations of Chevron. So I won't uh, do what I frequently do here, uh, which is provide uh, two or three minutes of color. But while I was reviewing the interview for editing, I was struck really once again, if you've listened to some of our other episodes that involve large companies, how large an industrial business can be in general. And specifically in the case of energy companies, how geographically diverse they are and how that diversity directly shapes the careers of the executives. Compare Alicia's uh, geographical assignments that you'll hear about in this episode to what's very typical in my industry of finance. For example, Jamie Dimon, who's the chief executive of J.P. Morgan Chase, the largest bank in this country, uh, has spent his entire career in New York with a few years in Chicago, and he's probably close to 15 years more tenured than Alicia. A quick uh, few facts to demonstrate the scale point. Chevron last year had revenues of $150 billion, and its recent peak was $220 billion a year of revenues in 2013 when oil prices were higher. Each year, the company spends about 15 to $20 billion on capital expenditures, and that helps it extract, uh, at least last year, extracted 2.7 million barrels a day of oil. Just to give you a point of comparison, each of China, Iran, and Iraq produce about 4 million barrels a day. By the way, that business of extracting oil from the ground is called the upstream operation. And these days, the upstream operations are not only the big offshore uh, or onshore operations with a single giant drill going down into the earth, but also a lot of short cycle high return operations, which are sort of more diffuse in their number of drilling points. And that's been brought about because of the progress in the world of fracking. The business of actually selling the fuel and other petroleum products uh, is called the downstream business, just in case you hear the term during the podcast episode. Without further ado, here's Alicia Green, General Manager of Upstream Information Technology at Chevron. Tech. Cars. Machines. Subscribe here or at gtkpartners.com. Alicia Green, thank you so much for agreeing to be on our podcast today. We really appreciate your time. I'm happy to be here. Great. And today we're actually in San Ramon, which is Chevron's headquarters just north of San Francisco. Uh, you used to be here for a few years, uh, I think, and then you left us and went to Houston. And so I'm, I'm happy that uh, we managed to catch you on a day when you're back, back at headquarters. Alicia, maybe uh, give us a little bit of your personal history. I, uh, I sort of joked around with you a little while ago that you've got a unique, for these days, LinkedIn profile with one company name on it. So give us a sense of what that means, because I know this is much more than really one company, one logo. Yeah, no, very true. So I have uh, been with Chevron... Uh, just about 27 years, which is a bit unheard of uh, these days. I've had uh, many different roles uh, in the company. So I started with the company uh, right out of school and uh, in programming and was in the uh, what we call the downstream piece of our business. And that 
that piece is defined as the part that goes from our manufacturing plants through our terminals into our gas stations. And so I had responsibility for various supporting various applications um, in the scheduling area, scheduling uh, vessels and pipelines with refined product. And so I've done numerous IT-type roles, programming, project management, business analysis. Um, I've also done business roles. I've been a, a refined product scheduler, uh, been a business uh, development and planning manager, and then really spanned um, the entirety of our value chain. So from downstream to midstream to upstream, our midstream really is that connection point with our pipeline company, power, and shipping company. And then the upstream is where we look for, find, and then produce oil and gas. And I have moved around quite a bit. So yeah, I started here in California, been in Houston, in New Orleans, in Bangkok. Now I'm like on my second loop. So I was in, (laughs) which is previously was in California. Now I've just, uh, since the beginning of year, have uh, moved to Houston. You already gave us a little bit of uh, the, the uh, upstream, midstream, downstream uh, designations. Take us a little bit further into the asset and geographic scopes and the personnel and activities of your current responsibility. Yeah, so my current responsibility, I am a general manager of IT for our upstream uh, business. And as I said, that's the part that looks for, finds, and, and produces oil and gas and so we have business units around the world. Uh, we have four different regions. You know, we have a North America region. We have an Africa, Latin America um, region, Asia Pacific, and Europe, uh, Eurasia, and Middle East. And so the way that it's organized is geographical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so each of those business units is doing that upstream business, but just in a different basin. Um, And so you have both geographical difference as well as geologic difference. So it's whether, you know, our operations are what we call onshore, like you'd have like in the San Joaquin Valley um, here in Southern California, or it could be offshore, uh, like we have in the Gulf of Thailand in Bangkok. Um, And so there are various functional disciplines. Um, We've got, you know, drilling disciplines. We have the geological uh, disciplines, operational disciplines. So the similar functional disciplines that are in those business units, um, they just get carried out in various location and also geopolitical (laughs) uh, differences as well across the world. And so then there, the IT that's associated with all of those varying um, business units, um, I have the responsibility for the oversight. On a global basis. On a global basis. And GM of IT, I think is the way you, the, yes. the, the phrase you use. That, is that equivalent to what other companies will call a CIO for, uh, for the upstream business? That is correct. So then okay. I have peers, you know, for downstream and then the midstream area. And we have a portfolio, you know, as we, as we look at our overall portfolio from a Chevron perspective, we are in different bases, different basins, different asset class. And so there's a strategic look that we took, that we take to determine what the um, investment is in each of those areas. Um, and so, yeah, we don't invest evenly across, but we do have a you know, what, what we consider to be a very advantaged and diverse portfolio. What are the revenues or the capital spending of the upstream business? How many employees you have that work for you? What is the capital that's deployed when you go 
build an offshore platform or an onshore uh, facility. <laughs> Just kind of wow us a bit, uh, Alicia, with those numbers, whatever, yeah. whatever's available off the, off the top of your head. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, so from a, a scale size, from an upstream perspective, yeah, we we spend, uh, and th- and this is just total, not not an IT. You know, total kind of capital spend where we are right now is uh, probably in the, you know, kind of like the the high teens of the billions. So <laughs> <laughs> just leave it, kind of yeah. leave it there. That's right. And and, that, and that's per year. So <laughs> so so yes, and you know, from uh, IT. Uh, standpoint, I think I, I think there's probably about somewhere in the probably thousand to twelve hundred range of IT employees that have across the world um, that are working on um, upstream. And uh, you know, you talked about you know, our, yeah, yeah, our upstream projects are long-term projects, and so again, are what we call our major capital projects. They are, again, if you're talking about the life of a major capital project, it can range anywhere from, you know, 10 to $40 billion. And then over, and, and it takes a while, you know, because some of this stuff, it is, I mean, it's an engineering feat to, you know, go put a offshore platform, you know, out 100 miles out, say, or, or more, you know, in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, in 7,000 feet of water and then drill, you know, down even more thousands of feet. And so that, that takes us a little while. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about our projects from, we talk of them and, you know, from our exploration all the way through to, you know, it being on production, um, that could potentially be a decade. Wow, that's incredible. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's interesting because people typically, and Europe, Chevron's been a public company for a long, long yeah. time, and people like to, there's a trope that public companies are short-term oriented every every quarter, and it's just not the case right. for a very large number of the businesses out there, and you know, yeah. Chevron and oil and gas is a great yeah. example well, of I'm, what the I'm, durations are. Well, we do have a bit more of a diversified portfolio now, and it's what we talked about with the mm-hmm. unconventional. So the unconventional is much more of a short cycle. And so we have put that into our portfolio. So we do have the short cycle, and then it balances with these, these longer cycle. Great. Uh, great. And then from an IT perspective, especially since you've uh, been in other parts of the business as well, does the IT associated with the uh, upstream business have a particular character that you can uh, give it? Or is it so diverse that it's, you've got a little bit of everything in the IT infrastructure? Or is it a little bit different from what it would be, let's say, for the pipeline business? Um, I think that, the, you know, the, the true infrastructure is quite similar. You know, when we talk about, you know, being able to have connectivity, you know, the difference between having, say, connectivity in an office versus in a field location, that field location connectivity is very similar, whether you're in an upstream, midstream, or, or downstream, because, you know, where we operate are usually in places that don't necessarily have, you know, a lot of connectivity because you're not necessarily near people. So so in that way, that piece is similar. Uh, I think where you get into the variety would be more in the application space and the the applications that are supporting the different functions. And so the functions are quite different um, within upstream versus a downstream or a midstream. Some Some are similar, but say, for instance, the geological function that is very specific to upstream. And so 
the type of IT applications there are really helping our geoscientists uh, really interpret, you know, seismic imaging um, so that we can find, you know, where there is oil and gas. And so it's a, it's a marrying of very complex, you know, like geophysical models um, with visualization, you know, techniques, some in 3D to really help those, those geoscientists do their work and analysis would be one example. Okay, great. Now, if I, in my mind's eye, when I think about, let's say, the downstream business, which I'll kind of say is the part that kind of gets you to the gas stations, that, as you uh, mentioned, is essentially the whole point of it is getting to the, the oil to where the population is, yes. therefore connectivity, all these things, availability of electricity even, yes. right, is a little bit more uh, easier to come by. But in a lot of your assets, presumably, you know, people aren't drilling for oil in the middle of Manhattan. So, uh, <laughs> so it, you start with essentially building all your own infrastructure from, yes. uh, from, from the literally from the ground up. And so, I, oh, so that's pretty. That's one of the interesting things we'll keep in mind as we go along here that you do deal with a lot of when things like connectivity and power are are scarce or at least expensive. It makes people think a lot differently about yes. how much sensing and how much information and where do you. Uh, where do you call the information before you have to, before you start transmitting yes, it? And that's yes. pretty interesting. Well, and it becomes a, an enabler to that, or or a barrier to mm-hmm. being able to do some of that. That if you're out kind of in a remote location and you do not have the connectivity, then how do you get you know some of that the sensor data actually you know back to uh, say the mothership? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And I think another interesting thing uh, that, if I recall correctly, from the uh, exploration side, which is what a part of the upstream business is, is that unlike a lot of other assets, operating assets, which generate essentially time series data, every now and then they report something, the sonograms essentially that they perform generate staggering amounts of information episodically and instantaneously when they, when they yes. do the science. Is that, is that still the case? That is still the case. So very large data sets. Um, we, you know, terabytes, petabytes, and, um, uh, and very, you know, uh, very graphically intensive. Mm-hmm. And so the need to have high-performance computing to allow the analysis of that dense data is, is very much something that is a, is a necessity and, and that we've worked, um, you know, over time. Well, it's fascinating. So for, for your portfolio essentially is satisfy that scientist who wants to crunch petabytes of data instantaneously, uh, needless to say, yes. uh, versus somebody on the operating side who basically wants a few bits of information that tells them whether, I'm exaggerating, a conveyor belt is about to break. Yes, right? yes, yes. Yeah. So, so right. yeah, there is definitely uh, diversity in okay. the range, yes. Okay, great. Uh, Alicia, one of the things when we've had a couple of representatives from Chevron speak at our conferences over the last uh, few years, that always striking to me is how much the, the word safety shows up immediately when you ask about the objectives. So talk to us a little bit about the integration of the IT infrastructure, the interaction of the AT, uh, IT infrastructure with safety and, and sort of other sort of compliance related items, whatever you find uh, uh, interesting. Yeah, I think in, in our industry, uh, safety is the first and, you know, foremost uh, value that we have. You know, we take it very seriously that we want to protect, you know, not only, you know, our employees and contractors who are doing the work uh, for Chevron, also 
making sure that we are operating in a way that protects, you know, the environment and the uh, communities and, you know, where we work. So we are very, you know, methodical when it comes to that. And I'd say the use of, of IT to help create safeguards to ensure that we do not have incidents is that that's kind of the key um, is how do we have um, you know things that will have have sensors uh, to you know ensure we understand as you said before you know how equipment is mm-hmm. operating or to do um, you know to detect if there are you know any emissions and then so that we can take you know immediate action and per- but mainly to prevent those types of things uh, so that is something that, that we look at. So in, whether it's a, you know, how we're designing, you know, say a facility that we're first putting it up to make sure that it's designed robustly and we, and, you know, we have automation um, to ensure uh, that we have those safeguards in place, or it's through even the maintenance. And, um, you know, as we are, say, folks are doing maintenance activities, that that's automated and they actually understand kind of, what are the steps that they should take to, to perform maintenance, you know, in a quality and safe way? And so there's a couple of examples, but uh, that's something, you know, we have a very large uh, health environment and safety uh, group. And so then there, there's IT components, you know, to, to that to ensure that we do that in a quality way. IT can help bring more knowledge into the field. For instance, say, you know, if you think about from a digitization standpoint, instead of having the operating manual be an actual, like, physical manual, how do you give a person out in the field a handheld where they can easily go through and understand, you know, what it is they are working on? Or being able to have, say, like, remote experts. So if there is a area that they're not as familiar with, that uh, in some ways you could phone a friend, you know, utilizing, um, you know, various uh, devices to be able to have, you know, somebody kind of see what you see and then to be virtually giving you uh, kind of consulting advice. Um, So it's more that we do not see it as, yeah, as a degradation that we're automating and people don't know what's being automated. It is to get the information into the hands of the field worker. Interesting. So it's a fairly conservative in terms of impacting the workflow, but you try yeah. to make that workflow, existing workflow as efficient as possible, then just given the, the life safety impact of what exactly. happens. Yeah, because we, we, yeah. we have of that, to have right? knowledgeable, trained, experienced employees that are out in the field. That will not change. We may automate some things, but then you will still have that experienced worker. And it's, it's just how do you make that experienced worker even more effective, you mm-hmm. know, by giving them the information they need at their fingertips so that they can then do a, uh, you know, quality and efficient uh, job. But quality, safety comes first over anything. So we're not going to, you know, look at efficiency at the detriment of safety. After safety, how do you view the IT organization? Is it more about efficiency, essentially improving processes and controlling costs, or is there a a revenue-driving component to the IT organization as well? In other words, are you extracting the data and saying, you guys in marketing, whatever you want, (laughs) should be doing something differently? 
I believe there's both. And the way that we look at it, the efficiency piece really is focused on the IT assets that we run. So those IT assets, how can we run them you know, as efficiently as possible? I think the revenue generating is on the innovation. And so it is in, in those pieces of what I, uh, you know, what I talked about of being able to get uh, you know, information into the hands of whatever worker it is and to make them more intelligent, then that drives you know, better decisions, which should ultimately lead to revenue. Um, so it is a bit of a bimodal. We do want to make sure that the, um, you know, when we build IT tools, that we're building them as efficiently as possible. We're running them, you know, as efficiently as possible. But the innovation comes from the tools that we're building. What is that enabling? How is that helping the company to, you know, generate cash or earnings? So both focuses have to be there. We and we have to be disciplined, right? So you don't. You know, we, we don't want to have, you know, when you think about the, uh, the overall kind of IT budget, we have to run it as a business as well, right? And so we need to look at, you know, our base business of the running of these assets and making sure that, you know, hey, how, are there more efficient ways? Like what automation can we put in, say, for patching of servers, you know, or for doing upgrades, you know, like just lifecycle upgrades on applications. Like that's the piece where we look to get efficiency. And then from the innovation standpoint, it's really having our IT professionals really understanding the business areas that they are supporting and then being able to make the recommendations for the various solutions that we could deliver to help drive the business strategy of that area. So one uh, interesting thing that we talked about last time uh, we saw each other, uh, movement into unconventionals for Chevron had actually uh, been a very exciting uh, avenue for deployment of the tough technologies that you, that you manage. Maybe talk to us a little bit about what is unconventionals, what is the Permian Basin? You know, as I talked about before, there are different uh, kind of you know, basins, um, you know, where, where we operate, and then different asset classes. And the unconventional is, is one of those, those asset classes. And uh, the Permian Basin is, is a place, you know, in the middle of, uh, you know, kind of the country here in the U.S. And we have a very large acreage position uh, there. And we're one of the, I think amongst the super majors, we have the largest kind of acreage position. And so our competitors are more independents. Um, they're smaller, they're nimble, and so it, <laughs> it has caused us to think differently about, as a large company, how, how do we compete you know, in that, that one area. And technology, uh, both information technology as well as other types of technology, have played a great portion, whether it's, you know, for us, you know, there's drilling technology, there's reservoir technology. Um, but then there's also information um, technology. And how do we bring all of that together to ensure that we can be successful there? And, and you know, with, with these, these unconventional, as we call it, you know, there's it's a term called the factory model. And it's where you're, you're drilling, you know, quite a bit, you know, kind of in series. And so you have to have speed of learning. Um, and so as you, you know, as you're drilling a well, need to understand, you know, was that well successful? Was it not? How much did it cost? And then that learning needs to go very quickly to the next one. And so again, being able to pull together all that information 
getting it back into the right folks' hands, whether it's the drilling engineer or the operations or the reservoir management, so that they can understand what is it that is either going well or that could be improved so that they can then bake those learnings into the next one. And because it's a factory and you're kind of drilling in you know, pretty rapid succession, the speed to which you do that analysis and make those decisions is crucial. And so it's a different one like for before where we were talking about the crunching of this massive you know, seismic data for you know, the geological space. Um, that's computing power. This one is just more of how do I combine information more quickly. So information's always been out there, but the ability to actually combine it to present that to our engineers as opposed to them having to go look for it, combine it on their own, massage it, and then by the time they do the analysis, that data is old, and then we've probably also missed the opportunity on number, a number of wells um, to actually influence. So that's, I think that's really been the big thing um, because the margins are quite tight. And so you really look at both your operating costs as well as the production. And we obviously want the operating cost to go down and we'd like our production to come up and then you, you know, are able to affect the margins. So in a conventional environment, kind of what the image a lot of people I think would have in their mind is, there's a lot of imagery work, et cetera, to find this one big deposit, one, this one big uh, container under the ground, mm-hmm. essentially, and you basically drill once into it, and then you suck everything out, and then you're done. And it's, uh, I don't know, yeah. I'm, I'm simplifying, yeah, 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 yeah. but it's sort of a find once, drill once, extract for, I don't know, 10, 20 years, and then you're done, and, and, yeah. and you've got to move on. But it seems like in the Permian Basin, where you're basically drilling where the oil, I'm assuming, is more diffuse through the entire area. So you basically are trying to find the right concentrations as you go along and drill in the right... And the pace. And the pace. (laughs) I see. I see. Interesting. So you're competing with what in the old movies they used to call wildcatters or or something (laughs) like that. Um, uh, A bit, but there's actually, and it's been quite interesting, I think there's been a bit of a digital war as well. I mean, if you, you know, anybody can go out and... Um, you know, Google the Permian Basin and you mm-hmm. will see that technology is being brought to bear. It's kind of a bit of a technology war <laughs> that's happening. It's quite, and it's quite fascinating. What, what do you mean by that? Well, it's, and so the, the, yeah, the wildcatters aren't, yeah, they're just not going by intuition. They're using technology as well. And so, it, you know, so it is, you know, that, that pace, it, it is um, how you implement and utilize the technology is also a big thing about winning um, in these unconventional spaces. So, and, and it is different technology. I mean, we, you know, uh, our industry, you know, we sometimes get a bad rap that we're, you know, kind of old, slow, and like not very technologically advanced. I mean, we've been using technology for, you know, many, many, many decades, very complex technologies. You know, like I said, for us, technology means much broader, you know, the various drilling uh, technologies. We couldn't drill some of these wells either in the unconventional or the conventional without very advanced uh, technology. The imaging, you know, that we do with our seismic, we wouldn't be able to find, you know, this oil and gas without a lot of that that technology. But for us, it's now the the merger of the technologies, you know, of what we would call the petrotechnical technologies with the information technology, merging that together to really be able to, you know you know, have scale and pace. 
So what, what people, I guess, frequently refer to as IT and OT, right? The information yeah. and operational technology. Let's say Chevron decides to do something in a particular location of a Permian Basin. To what extent is the choice of the equipment they, uh, they make influenced by you saying, that's great equipment, we can't process, it doesn't have the right data, it doesn't give us the right data, it's hard to connect to. Is there, is there an interaction like that? Uh, not quite that, because again, if I, if I go back to you know, what I was saying about the history of our industry, our equipment, we, we've had sensors on our equipment forever. forever. Right. And so, so when you think about you know, kind of the Internet of Things or Industrial Internet of Things, whatever you want to call it, in a lot of other industries, it's about getting the sensors there. For us, it's been more that we've had the sensors there forever. It's just how do we actually connect, as you were saying, the OT to the IT or like our operational network to our business network? Because we have been, again, from a safety standpoint, again, we have always had a demarcation, a separation, because our operations network is hardened in a very different way way in the past has been hardened in a very different way than our business network and we've kept it separated and now it's how do we you know bring the two together and that data together in a safe secure and speedy way that's what i'd referred to before in the past it's been yeah the data's there um, we've had a lot of data the data comes across, it kind of gets dumped somewhere, and then it's been our engineers who, instead of doing the analysis, they're doing data manipulations. I see. And I see. so it's really, you know, how do we turn that data into valuable information automatically and not have our engineers doing that manually? So that's been the big thing for us between the kind of the, com- the combination of the IT and the OT. Interesting, interesting. It is fascinating at the uh, conference in Vegas that we were uh, together a, a, f- a few weeks ago when I was preparing for it, it really st- struck me that in the last 20 years, whenever the word data has come up, data warehouse, all the way through big data, AI, etc., no matter what generation you're talking about, 90% of the effort is just trying to get the data <laughs> cleaned yes. up in the right place connected with each other? Do people don't even understand what we were measuring when we collected the exactly. data? And, and then there's a tiny little bit that comes in at the end where somebody actually gleans an insight out of it. It sounds like it's still substantially yeah. a big part of the challenge. No, definitely. And, and you know, as you said, we, we, you know, we've had these sensors, the OT out there, so we've been collecting data forever, but it's like how much of it have we been using it, right. using? And so that's really where we're at now is like, let's actually use more of this. And then it is the connection of, of data. So, you know, again, connecting, say, the, the drilling data that's coming off the drill bit, you know, with financial or procurement data to, uh, again, be able to make those, those analytical decisions. Um, you know, in the past, uh, you know, were we actually using all of the, the data coming off of the drill bit? Probably not. And then were we combining it? Mm, maybe or maybe not. But it, it is the insights. And, and that's what I mean about, you know, providing the ability for our workforce to be more intelligent. Because it's like, let's, let's have the engineer do the job that we hired the engineer mm-hmm. for, which is analyzing and designing. We really don't want our engineers spending time looking for finding and massaging data. Like that, that is not the, you know, the high order right. of skills right. 
you know, that's a low level task. Like, so how can we let the computer do that for them and then get them to the higher order of the work um, that they were trained for? And you know what's interesting too is a lot of the artificial intelligence concepts that we come across, what's fascinating, there's, there's a couple different ways they're doing it, but when you look into the, under the hood, quite a few of them are really, what they're really doing is cross-application data integration. When you think of you know, artificial intelligence of, of truly mimicking the brain, we're, I mean, we're not there because we don't even understand how our own brains work. And I think, you know, once we get that, I think that's when you'll get more towards, I guess, the true definition of artificial intelligence. That's why I've said several times that I, I do think that really when we talk about artificial intelligence now is it's more about how do you make your worker more intelligent? You know, how, how do you let the computer do a lot of this combining and so that you give that, you know, give the information in the way that the worker can consume it and it makes them more intelligent. So that is, you know, you are artificially increasing their intelligence. I mean, that's the way that I kind of think about it. So you're, you're in your view, it's an enhancement of human intelligence yes. rather than necessarily a replacement. Exactly. It, it, it's interesting because I think that's a very insightful way of describing it in the sense that it ties to what works, what we've seen yeah. works in these, in these startups and some of these other entities, which is the following. Whoever the vendor is, better understand the workflow extremely well, because exactly. otherwise you're just burning up compute power and delivering, once again, a bunch of data exactly. to people. What part of it is more than that? When you're trying to make your intel, uh, worker more intelligent, is it also trying to suggest things they wouldn't have thought about even doing before? Is that where you're trying to push it as well or right now? No, that's correct. Okay. Because, and well, because it's those insights. Mm -hmm. You know, because some of the things when you combine, say, data sets that have never been combined before, you're, you're not exactly sure what, what results you're going to get out. And so, you know, you look at the, this combined data and you start, you potentially start thinking a different way. And perhaps that actually transforms that workflow. And so that, I think that's also the trick as well is how, you know, do you, you know, work in, a, in an environment that really fosters that innovation and that you may or may not know what the end answer is going to be, but let's, let's see what insights we get and let the insights kind of guide you towards what the transformation is. You know, what's really fascinating about that uh, answer, um, Alicia, is a few years ago when we started our IoT conference, most organizations would say, you know what, we want to have a specific question we're trying to answer, that we're not going to really pay for discovery. But the percentages are changing. There are more organizations are saying, you know what, maybe we will, obviously not in an unbounded right. fashion, but in a much more expansive fashion than we used to, see maybe on an unsupervised basis, essentially, whether the application of some of these data analysis techniques can point to trends and features and clustering in the, in the data that we hadn't really bothered even looking for before. Is that something you see yourself in your organization as well? Yeah, and I think the key to what you said is it's not unbounded. There, there is an area that we are exploring. I think what, what uh, you mentioned, it's being open for the secondary or tertiary insights that you get out of that that kind of the area. So leaving it open a bit, not having it, your aperture so narrow right. that you're only answering this very narrow question. 
Um, but, but you do have to understand kind of what space you're working in. And so that, that's kind of been our, I guess, path that we've been following. I'm sure you get solicited a lot by vendors, uh, uh, traditional or, or new, that say, we've got AI, we've got ML, supervised, unsupervised, you know, all, all this yeah. stuff. What does that mean to you? What's, what's been exciting? Somebody who's listening to the startup, who's uh, into this uh, podcast from a startup as a venture investor would like to sell stuff to you. Just what actually from your uh, experience seems to be working? Well, you know, and you mentioned it a bit ago, it's, it is really the, the understanding of the workflow. Mm-hmm. And so to, yeah, to anybody that's out there listening, I, I think doing some research, you know, on our industry and really understanding kind of what are some of our challenges and having those, you know, maybe even the fresh eyes looking at it. Because that's, that's, that's one thing that we do is how do you potentially look outside of our industry to other industries to, to some um, learnings that they've had and how can you bring it back? I think those have been some of the, the interesting things. You know, because sometimes you have to get out, you know, you have to get out of your own head. But I also think on the flip side of that, for folks that are trying to sell into our industry, you do have to learn a bit about, you know, our industry. But you can come in with those fresh eyes and say, hey, did you think about this, this, and this? And we could have a blind spot there um, that we weren't. Um, and so, you know, for us, you know, we, we definitely have, you know, we have an R&D arm within Chevron. And so we have folks that are out, you know, researching. There, there are problems that we can't solve. And, and so we're, we're looking to partner with, with others to help us um, solve those, those problems and then bring that kind of back in to the larger organization to see, you know, where it's, uh, it's applicable. And it work, you know, so that works really well because we have, you know, kind of like their internal consultants, right? And I think the piece that makes them very effective is that they do understand the different parts of our value chain. And then there are mechanisms for, you know, having the feedback on areas where like we would really like to be able to do this but we can't right now and the can't may be from a technical standpoint it also could be from a commercial standpoint and can technology help with the commerciality of a specific thing that we're trying trying to do because the current technology it's hey if that's not even I, I, yeah I could go and get that oil and gas or I could could manufacture X Y and Z but commercially it just doesn't make sense and so then what can technology you know bring to bear to change even the commercial outcome right I know in uh, healthcare for example they realized that going to people who were um, develop natural language processing mm-hmm. technologies for the smartphone environment do much better than their current vendors right are trying to come at it from inside the healthcare yes. industry so that's probably yes, a number similar of examples type of similar mm-hmm. type of thing for you what what in the end would you like us to add or focus on well, I think what I would what I'd end with is, you know, really understanding that, uh, you know, our industry is quite exciting. And the value that we provide to the world is immense. You know, we do it in a very safe and ethical manner. And I do think that sometimes, you know, folks that are looking for industries to work in, specifically in IT, do not think of of the uh, energy industry to work in. The, again, the scale and the scope of things that, that you could work on in our industry um, are massive. As I said, the impact, uh, the positive impact that you can have to the world. You know, there's you know, some parts of the world 
we don't even have, they don't even have, you know, access to an energy. And so being able to, to be part of helping, you know, uh, a country move from third world into first world, I mean, that's, that's, that's real, you know, human um, impact. And the things that we're doing now, the, this combination of the OT and the IT, it's just a fascinating and exciting time uh, to be in, in IT uh, in in this company, and you know, not only the you know the scale and scope as we talked about, but then if you like to travel, you know, go around or you know, as I said, we have operations all over the world, um, and so uh, which is why I've stayed with the company so long. I mean, I've been here for the 27 years. I've had I think I'm on my 13th or 14th different role, and those roles have differed from a technology standpoint. They've differed from you know, the value chain standpoint, and they've also differed from the geographic standpoint. Um, And so all those things, I think, make for very exciting, meaningful, and impactful work. So hopefully you'll dig in a bit more to our industry. And, you know, those of you that have startups, that you'll learn more about us and maybe call us up and see if we can partner together. And those of you that might be looking for a career change, you know, think about uh, coming into the energy industry. Great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate uh, all the time and all the insights. Well, thank you. I have really enjoyed our conversation. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tech. Cars. Machines. Subscribe here or at gtkpartners.com.